welcome back to um, School of Science Radio. Uh, I'm Matthew Chandler. I'm here today with Jim Kerrigan. Um, he's an author. He's written previous books on Everton, including Everton's Greatest Games, and then Highs and Lows and Back Yokos, which covered Everton in the 90s. Um, and he's recently released the latest one, Everton number nine, um, which looks back at nine of Everton's best and most iconic players to wear the number nine shirt. Uh, Jim, how are you doing today? Good, thanks. You're right. Yeah, not too bad. I didn't want obviously yesterday as well. That's um, yeah, good start to the week, wasn't it? Um, I guess the first thing I wanted yeah. to ask you about it was after writing a book about Everton in the nineties, was this one a lot more, I guess, cathartic and enjoyable to write? Yeah, much more. Yeah, I think the um, the nineties one. It was I enjoyed doing it, but it's you know it's a bleak subject matter, isn't it? It was a terrible decade for Everton, pretty much. Whereas with this, you, you're by and large, you're going back and you're kind of re- revisiting uh, some of our best times. And obviously the players that have been loved the most by supporters over the last, you know, well, since the club was founded, really. Yeah, I think um, that's one of the things I picked up on as well. You've got like some of the, some of the, uh, some of the strikers that you cover in it, like Andy Gray and Duncan Ferguson, for example. Um they're obviously not Evans like highest goal scorers or even in that sort of echelon. Um but was there as much about talking about like the most iconic players as opposed to like the best goal scorers? Yeah, I think it's um yeah, because some of these players, like you mentioned, Gray and Gray and Ferguson were not really great goal scorers. I think if you look at their records, uh, you know, they're not that impressive. Uh, and there are players who've certainly scored more. You know, you could. Um, he didn't wear number nine, but you could. You could mention Lukaku in that. He was a great goal scorer, but not loved by um, the crowd. Whereas these players, uh, not only were they good footballers, but they also tended to, to sort of represent something at their time. They were uh, either all we had in the case of Ferguson and Latchford, just players who were loved because of because things weren't going well or we weren't winning stuff. But we had these kind of these these players. Or they were often like the um, the heart, the, the beating heart of a great team. So someone like Dean or um, or Hickson, Lawton, they were kind of the, the focal points of of the fans' affection for teams who were also at the same time exceptional. Yeah, I think um, uh, the um, the books only like. It's quite a short book, isn't it? It's only 80 pages. Um, but, I mean, it's quite an easy sort of dissect book. I, like, I read it in one afternoon and, you know, the time flew by because I enjoyed reading it so much. But I think, um, was that another thing that you kind of wanted to do? Like, not, instead of, like, dissecting every single memorable goal or something, just kind of find, I guess, like, kind of look at more like the men behind the goals as well, don't you? But it's kind of looking at them as players. You look at like the stories behind the nicknames and their life after they're playing and things like how some of the signings cause uproar in fans. I liked a bit about the the letters page in the Echo, sort of filled with complaints and things like that. Was that kind of conscious decision on your part to look away from just on the pitch as well? Yeah, I think. It was just, I mean, the whole idea of the book is to it was, it was to make it easy. It's, you've got these figures that are talked about a lot by. By Evertonians, and uh, I'm as guilty as anyone of not really knowing. You know, you, you sort of you know about the, you know Dean's record, and you and you know about kind of past glories, 
you don't really, I didn't really know a great deal, even though I've written about Everton before in the past. And so it's kind of like a little, it's a quick and handy way to dip in to get a taste of what these players uh, were all about. And, and yet, as you mentioned, it's not just about uh, the good times or, uh, or even the Everton times. It's, it, it's, what, you know, it's how they came to the club. It's what they did for the club, why they matter. Uh, but also what happened afterwards, because, you know, some, some of the careers just fizzle out. Some, some are strange. Like, you know, I, I think the player that surprised me the most was um, Dave Hickson. Because I, mean, I knew he'd gone to Liverpool, but you, you, you kind of, you didn't really appreciate just how much he was loved and how, how, how much that move hurt the fans. But also, despite moving to Liverpool, he's still loved. Because I think if that happened today, if we had a forward that we loved and he moved across the park, there is no way on earth he would be loved from that point on. He'd be hated. So it's kind of a, I think someone like Hickson, it, it was a, a measure not just of the man, but also maybe a reflection of how different football was back then as well. Yeah, and like you say, Hickson in the book um, went on to, he came back to him and didn't he? Sort of a, a match day host and a tour guide as well. So yeah. this kind of uh, showed that, you know, still had a, really tight bond with Everton as a club and with the fans as well. So um, the other thing I noticed, obviously, there's a lot of, um, you uh, you include a lot of like ex- excerpts from articles from the time or um, interviews with fans who, who had the, the luxury of watching some of these. Uh, the, the letters pages in the Echo, like I said, and then interviews with the players themselves and then from other um, Everton authors like Simon Hart and Brian Viner. Um, how much did you learn yourself then from compiling the book about all of these players? Loads, I think. I mean, like I mentioned earlier, I knew bit like I think like a lot of fans, you know, bits and bobs about um, about different players. Uh, more so the ones that kind of are in your own like uh, lifetime. So I knew I obviously knew more about like Sharp and uh, Gray and uh, Ferguson and a bit about Latchford, but. The further back you go, the, obviously the less you know. So it's um, there were some players there like Lawton. I barely knew anything about him at all. So it, it means to the point where I didn't really know how long he was with I, he was with Everton. I was so I was surprised about how short a career he had because he's talked about as a great. Yeah, he was barely with us. I mean, most of his time, most of his fo- footballing career was spent either lost to the war or elsewhere playing for different clubs. Um, so yeah, you, you you really learn. I think the, the one thing that, that surprised me was somebody like Lawton is that he was like a, he was like the Harry Kane of the day. He was like the leading centre forward, and then he he uh, he left Chelsea to move to Brentford. I think it was two divisions down. Which again is a, you know that just wouldn't happen now. It's he, he he took a massive drop. So it just you learn things about players. You also learn just how different football was back then. So it's, you know, it's, it's, it's always an uh, education to kind of go back and learn these things. Yeah, I think the thing with Tommy Lawton as well is he was, he was I think anyone who followed came straight after Dixie Dean was kind of, um, you know, kind of a hard act to follow, isn't it? But obviously you mentioned the book how, how Dean almost kind of took Tommy Lawton under his wing a bit and, and sort of was kind of a mentor for a bit. And obviously Tommy Lawton, say, his goal scoring record was, I know he didn't play that many games for Everton overall, obviously, extenuated circumstances as well. But his goal scoring record was incredible, and I think people maybe haven't heard of him or don't don't realize how good a, a goal scorer he was. And they can certainly glean that from the book as well. Um, I, I wrote a uh, 
the review, I wrote a review book as well, which is going up on the site uh, this week. Um, and I just mentioned in that, there's, there's a few things that kind of picked out as kind of recurring themes. Uh, one of them was kind of like, I mean, they're kind of sad, kind of saying kind of sad things to, to pick up on. But I guess one was that you feel like a lot of these players were kind of um, the teams they played, the teams they played in didn't really complement how good they were. I feel like people like Lawton and, and Dave Hickson as well obviously played in, this, in the second division. Do you think they were kind of guilty of being in a team that didn't have sufficient quality to to help them sort of reap that six like silverware success? I guess there's no real none of them really had like a, a sustained period of success. I guess. Yeah, no, I think that's, that, that's a fair point. Yeah, I think there are, I mean, certainly there are players, uh, you, could, you could say Latchford, you know, fantastic goal scorer, didn't win anything with Everton, came close, but the team around him was, it was, it was okay, but it wasn't exceptional. Uh, Hickson, yeah, another good example. Uh, even Dean, I mean, he, he, he kind of, you know, obviously he won stuff at Everton, but he was the reason often they won stuff. If you, if, when you took him out of those Everton teams, when he was injured, or, his, or towards the end, and his, and his form dipped. Everything were really mediocre. I mean, to the point where, you know, I think the season after, two seasons after we won the league in the late 20s and Dean was injured, we got relegated. So yeah. clearly a shit team that was, you know, massively pulled up because you had this, this exceptional footballer. Um, so, yeah, there the, the were times when that was the case. But equally, you know, if you take somebody like um, Andy Gray as kind of, as as much of an impact as he had on um, Everton, you could argue that the team was better than him. You know that was a that was probably the best Everton team ever. And Gray, you know, before joining Everton and afterwards, wasn't much of a player, but he was putting this exceptional Everton side that got the best out of him. And through that, he won trophies. So it's so, you know there are times when it works the other way where it kind of it, it, it elevates a, a player's career as well. Yeah, I think um, kind of touched on that with Gray, but kind of you, you get the impression that some of them are almost like single-handedly a catalyst for like a, an Everton revival. And like Alex Young, obviously, you say in the book how he got kind of led Everton to their first uh, piece of silverware assets since the war. Um, kind of Andy Gray, like you say, kind of just the final piece in the jigsaw, I guess, when he moved from Villa. Uh, even maybe like Duncan Ferguson, you know, after after Mike Walker. I feel like obviously I'm I like Mike Walker in the nineties before my time, but um feel like the impression I get is that no one really sort of channeled that dogs of war spirit like like Ferguson did maybe and kind of but certainly after Walker went it kind of felt like he led a revival um for Everton a bit. I yeah. Think, I think yeah. a lot of that stems from just how passionate players are as well. I mean you talk about um, you know, Dave Hickson playing against United with a stitched up uh, wound above his eye and, and Bob Latchford saying his soul is a Goodison and, and do, you, do you feel like nowadays you don't get players in that mould anymore? Uh, probably not I think it's a different different age different kind of footballer I think you I mean part of the reason why I, I chose these nine players is because they were they were like that there was um they had like a almost like an elemental connection to the club a deep emotional bond that um you know we've had other good forwards and maybe they didn't have the same connection with all these players there were lots of quotes of you know you know 
Dave Hickson saying he'd break every bone for Everton. As you mentioned, Latchford uh, having a soul um, at Goodison. Um, you know, Ferguson's connections to the club is obvious. Clearly, loves Everton. Um, and really, maybe after you know, p- p- people mention Kevin Campbell, but I don't. I don't think he's in the same mould as someone like Ferguson. I think since since Ferguson, we've not really had uh, a number nine uh, like that. Not somebody who has that kind of almost visceral connection to the club and, and maybe that that's just modern football maybe you don't get them anymore yeah and I, I said that in the review as well I feel like a whole generation of Evertonians have kind of missed out on that iconic number nine obviously you played Lukaku before but you, you've won up his hand didn't you but say I'm 21 so I came in on like 22 so I came in like the, the tail end of Ferguson but then since then you know we've had players like Kone and Sandro and Calvin. Obviously, Calvert-Lewin gets a nod in the book as well, doesn't he? So, yeah. I don't know um, if maybe he would be, you know, a late entry. <laughs> like an- Hopefully, I think, I think with him, I think we'd need to win some. I think if we, if we, the next few years, if we did well and we won something and Calvert-Lewin plays like he, he does and he's part of that team and he, he plays an important role, then, yeah, I think he could be, a, um, uh, you know, a great number nine, but I can I mention that in the book? And then obviously, since you've come back from the restart, he's, he's been so shit. Everything <laughs> so, you know, I said just looks stupid now. So you know, I'll have to wait and see. What I mean? Yeah. Just uh, just touching on some of the individuals. Then I think uh, Ferguson obviously sticks out with me because he's the one that I kind of most resonate with. Uh, he was he was the first the first player to score a winning goal that I saw at Goodison. So. Um, I do kind of get have a more of an attachment with him, even though I didn't see him play that much. I was at the West Brom game as well when he his last his last kick when he took yeah. that awful penalty, terrible, <laughs> terrible penalty, penalty wasn't it? and then uh, scored the rebound. Um, there's some kind of debate I think about whether Ferguson is an Everton legend because obviously he played in kind of a really dismal period for Everton for the most part. Um, is it? I mean, you, I think you say in the book, or there's a quote in the book that says about if you look at stats alone, Ferguson didn't see him like much of a player. Um, where do you stand on it? Do you, do you consider him a legend for Everton or not? Yeah, I think. Again, I'm the right age for it because I was, you know, idolised Ferguson. But like, as you said, the stats don't tell the full story. I mean, if you look at stats alone, he wasn't much of a forward. And he, you know, he was always injured and he was always suspended and he had months in prison, which is you know never going to help someone's career. Uh, and then he left the club for a bit and he came back. And um, But like, it's, it's hard to describe how low we were as a fan base in like the end of the 93-94 season, the start of the 94-95 season. That, that, that Mike Walker era, if you, if you look at his stats, like, there's nobody comes close to Walker for kind of just how undeniably shit he was as a manager. He's like, he is the bottom of the, of the list by some distance. It was just, it was, it's really hard to kind of describe just how bad it was. We were, we were laughing stock and we knew as supporters, we knew for a fact that we were going down. I think four were going down that season. So we're bottom of the league and it's November. It's just, you know, after, on the back of Wimbledon. So like, it's been a, a hard few months and then out the blue, you get this player who had been not much when he arrived. He'd been a bit of a, he looked 
unarsed uh, under Walker. And suddenly you get that game, that derby game, when he scores the first goal. And he, he's just transformed. Suddenly you've got this, this figure who's like a throwback to Everton forwards of the past. He's big, he's strong, he scores important goals. He's throwing himself about. He's aggressive. I mean, Everton hadn't been aggressive for years. We'd been a team of small players like, you know, Mark Ward and Beardsley, and we, we were just nothing. And they got this animal up front. And so, yeah, it, it really didn't matter. They, he wasn't that effective. I mean, didn't really see the best of him um, during his Goodison career. He was what we needed at that time because we had nothing. And then to kind of to cap it all off to not only, you know, he's there to to lift the FA Cup. I think that that kind of that season was a bit of a miracle in the end. When after all came in and Ferguson was like like the totemic embodiments of of uh, of the dogs of war mentality. And um yeah we he, he you know he, he just did so much for the fan base who had, who had we had nothing at the time. So you know I think for that alone, even for just that season, that's why he gets put in there really. Do you see do you see parallels with the way Everton played when he was caretaker manager with Everton under Joe Royal then, or is that too yeah. simplistic a comparison to me? No, I think I think you I think you're spot on. I think you're right. I think um, like I don't know how much longer Everton could have played like that uh, under Ferguson because it seemed like he was just running them into the ground. But for that, you know, there was definitely if you look at that Chelsea game when he was in charge, it's very similar to the. Joe Royal Derby in that kind of we were a when before Royal came in we were just shit like, like every game was shit and we were spineless and we got you know, just rolled over same as Marco Silva we were just a really shit team and then you get this very different Everton who were direct and really aggressive and um, you know very Royal esque but whereas Royal could keep it going for the whole season you're looking at all the injuries that we were picking up and. You watch the sort of tail off by the Arsenal game. I, th- I think if if Ferguson had been in charge much longer, I don't know. I, I don't know if that kind of that physicality uh, could have continued. Do you see? Do you see Ferguson as a future manager then? I don't know. At Everton anyway. At Everton, probably no. no, probably not. I just don't think it's. Uh, I think he's more like a. He came in like a bit like a firefighter. He came in. He did. He did what was needed, but I don't know if that approach would. I don't think that approach would get the club to where Evertonians want the club to be. I think we want the club to be top four, playing good football, not like playing Burnley-esque football and sort of finishing eighth. I think I think that was the that was the Moise. That, that's gone now. I think we, we're now expecting to be something better, and that's not Ferguson. Do you think as well? We kind of it's a lot of talk about kind of how important or it is to kind of get. The club, and I feel like that's something that all the nine players in the book certainly did. Do you feel how? Do you feel like we like under or overestimate how important that is now? I think of like when when uh, Ronald Coombe was sacked and Unsworth was kind of being touted, and there's people saying, you know, at least he gets the club, and there's other people saying that that shouldn't matter. And where do you stand on that? That's a good question because because it's it's tough because you want you want a boss who you. Feel gets the club, but that can't be the only reason somebody's appointed. I think if you look at kind of um, look what happened when Everton uh, lost uh, Howard Kendall and they appointed Colin Harvey 
who had no managerial experience because he felt like, felt like it was the, the right thing to do. He got the club, he'd been there during the good times and it was a disaster. You know, the, 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 our best team fell apart because we kind of, we appointed with our hearts rather than our heads. And I think there's always a danger if you appoint a manager who just because he, he's a, an Everton man, um, are you getting the best candidate? So it's, it's, it's hard because, because you're right, you can end up with somebody like Koeman if you just appoint him with your head who didn't give a shit about Everton, did he, at all. But equally, if we'd appointed Unsworth, we, I think we'd still be in a mess. So it's, I suppose you, you appoint the best person and you hope they're the kind of person who, you know, if, I mean, it's awful, but if, if you look at what Liverpool have done, that's, that's what you do, isn't it? You appoint a manager who's the best you can get and they've been lucky that he's also the kind of man who who, who really invests in the club clubs that he's at. Because you know, with Klopp, clearly he's plugged into what it, what it means to be a Liverpool manager. So that's what you want. But I don't know how many how many managers like that are around. I don't know. Yeah, I guess I guess one of the exceptions maybe is someone who who did really get Everton and um, had great had success as a manager with Everton was Joe Royal. Um, do you think, because he kind of picked Everton up in the 90s and obviously led them to the FA Cup in a time when Everton was so dismal for the rest of it, for the most part, do you think he's better remembered as a player or as a manager, would you say? I think it depends on your age. I think if you talk to him like, like my dad, he was following Everton in the 60s and 70s. I still think he thinks former most the player, whereas for someone of my age... I never saw Royal play. You know, he was way beyond my kind of boundaries. I could sort of Latchford was kind of as far back as I could go. Uh, I'll always think of him as a manager and a fantastic manager. I mean, you know, I know it sort of fell apart at the end, but like what he did that season was incredible, really. From to go, nobody, as I mentioned before, nobody when he came in thought that was going to happen. No one thought we'd escape relegation. Nobody thought we'd, we'd win the FA Cup. So it's incredible. Um, and just looking at the, the team in the 80s as well, you talk as well in, in the book about maybe the effect that the Heisel disaster had on, on maybe Andy Gray and Graham Sharp's um, careers. Do you think as much as kind of holding Everton back as a team in terms of didn't give them a chance to be, um, or to carry on being a force in Europe, do you think that also maybe held Sharp and Gray back as well in terms of their, do you think they could have propelled them into sort of a better career or had better goal-scoring careers for Everton? don't know. It's a great... I think that's the frustrating thing about uh, Heisel, that we'll never know. Will we? I think we... we I think Everton assume because of just how good Kendall was and just how good that team was. We think we assume that things would only have got better, which probably would have been the case. I mean, that was a... You know, the best Everton team anyone's ever seen. Scene. Even even people who watched Everton in the sixties and that they were great sides, they they recognised that you know the eighty four eighty five side was incredible. You know, it just it was so strong, so talented, um, and then it was robbed really by something that was not our fault. And it's you know it was never. I know we won the title in eighty seven, but it it wasn't in the same way. We sort of lived the line that year. Um, whereas the you know the eighty forty five they were a swashbuckling team they were you know up there with the best in, in English football 
So, you know, I, I think that it had a, had a devastating impact on Everton and, you know, who knows what would have happened afterwards. Certainly, you know, certainly Gray says he would have stayed and he would have fought in the European campaign. So for him, certainly had an impact. And uh, yeah, who knows? What, you know, I mean, Sharp was great during his Everton career. He was a great forward, but you, you never know, playing at a higher level, maybe he would have got even better. It's, you know, it's so unfair what happened. Yeah, and I think you talk um, about Gray kind of being this force of nature and you mentioned how in his first press conference he just said he wants to win things and I feel like he kind of embodies that sort of winning mentality that Evan maybe lost. Do you, do you feel like it's still there in Evan? No. Do you feel like there's still a player that kind of is in that Andy Gray mould of kind of uncompromising sort of big force of person, big, you know, big personality, big mentality? Um, uh, in, got in, in the current squad, yeah. No, I think it, I don't know. I think that's the one of our biggest issues is that we've. Is that, sorry, is that seen, a generation? Do you think that's a generation thing? Do you think that was just the way it was uh, at the time, or do you think there are still players like that? I think there are still players like there are still winners out there. People who who fight and, and don't give up. I think, I think that's always going to be competitive footballers. I think the problem we've got at the moment is that we've we fold so easily. You know, it's you never know what what you know. You don't know what version of Everton's going to turn up. I'm sure most of us didn't expect to win yesterday. It's um, we seem mentally quite fragile as a team and and. Play, you, you, we could really do with with a player like Andy Gray, that kind of big, forceful, winning mentality. Or, so, or someone like Peter Reid, who just are so uh, aggressive and they want to win so much that they kind of pull everyone up. But the moment, Everton just look a bit, you know, meh, just like a bit, who knows, who cares? It's, it's, we are in desperate need of, of, a, of, of a few fighters. Do you think we, do you think as well we, we kind of judge strikers differently now to maybe how we used to. I think I think of like you don't really you don't see like a sixty goal season like you did with Dixie D. You don't really even see like four, like Gary Lineker got nearly forty, didn't he? I know he's not in the book, but um I just remember that one season where he got I think thirty eight, thirty nine. Do you think like just the role of striker has changed or just the, the sort of barometer of how judge a good striker has changed as well? Yeah, I think you um you look at, I think in the past, it was quite a, it was, the job was just to score goals. That was your striker's job. So like you get someone like uh, like Tony Cotty, didn't do anything apart from trying to score goals. Whereas now you have players like uh, Firmino at Liverpool who doesn't score goals, but is like, widely regarded as a great forward because of what he does without the ball. And it's, I think the, the job of a striker is now about defending as well. You, if you look at uh, our, our front two yesterday, they're quite aggressive and they'll close down. So, yeah, I think you can be a low-scoring forward nowadays and still be regarded as a success. Whereas, you know, 30 years ago, if if you scored, if you were the leading forward and you scored 10 goals in the season, that was a shit season. Whereas maybe that isn't the case anymore. Yeah, so, so Dean was the, um, Dean's obviously the best goal scorer by stretch, but so as, as I, uh, I know it was in the book, uh, people like Bill Kenwright, um I noticed he picked that Alec Young as like his favourite ever player. Um, who would you say yours is, or who do you think the best 
the best of the nine was? You still say Dean because of his goals? Yeah, I think Dean because of his records. But I think I, with these things, I think it's, it often depends um, if you're around. I think when you're around, you you forge an emotional connection. So I, I saw Sharp, Gray and Ferguson play. So of the list, they're always going to be, you know, my favourites. Um, and of them, Ferguson is still the favourite, even though he's, he's definitely not the best player amongst that those three or even the, uh, the nine. But you just got that. You can't deny, you can't get over that emotional connection that you that you you know that you forge the play. I'm sure for people who are younger than me, it's people like Tim Cahill. You get that that you know that pull towards them because. They're like not your first love, but it's sort of it's it's a bit like that. So uh, objectively, it's got to be Dean, but I think emotionally, it's Ferguson. Yeah, I think it's a fair point. I think a lot of people will kind of, I guess, resonate more with Ferguson on a personal level, but still kind of appreciate players like Dean. Obviously, I don't know whether you say more important, but certainly obviously better players or better goal scorers than say, the players that we have more in a bond with. Um, where, where can people, obviously your book's out now, where can people people get it? It's only on Amazon, so there's an e-book version and a paperback version. Um, the e-book earns me more money. I still need benefit of getting the e-book, I think. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's just go, go to Jim Keoghan. That's great. Yeah. So I read it on e-book and... Uh, it's good Saturday afternoon just reading that. Uh, I saw on Twitter you talking about something about worst number nine. Mm. Uh, yeah. Well, have you got something in the pipeline there? Up this? Well, yeah. I, I was just thinking, like, because um, I, I spent so long doing the, the good ones, I was thinking, like, how many bad ones have we had? And, and I think the depressing thing is that it's much more common that we sign bad Actually, more more common in the last say twenty years, I think for the a long time, Everton were very good at sort of seamless transition. They sort of had a great number nine, and then another great number nine came in behind. You think like the we had like you know in the sixties from Pickering to Young to Royal to Latchford to Gray to Sharp to Gray to Ferguson over the course of like thirty years, and you look back uh, since you know the Walter Smith era. And it's an awful lot of shit. You've had forwards who've been good for a bit and a couple of years here and there, but we've had some like proper stinkers. You I mean lately, as you mentioned, Kone, Sandro. I mean, it's almost uh, it's almost an affront that they got to wear that shirt because they're so you know atrocious. It's we've um, we've lost that knack, I think, of just finding a good forward who can stay with us for like six, seven years. Score like twenty goals a season. That seems to have just gone from the club. So it's um, yeah, we've seems to have got shitter over time at doing that. Well, at least at least your book can uh, help some historians recall some yeah. happier memories. Yeah. So yeah, uh, uh, Jim's new book's out now, number nine, um, on ebook and uh, paperback. Uh, the review for the the book will be going up on the site this week as well. Uh, have you got another book as well out next month as well? Did I see? On your Amazon page. Yeah, it's um, yeah, how to run a football club, which is like basically what it says. It's how it goes from my kids' football, every level up the pyramid. Uh, what what kind of just looking really states the game. What what's working, what isn't working. 
mostly showing that you know beyond the Premier League, most of football is is on its ass, and it's um you know it's a game that it's it's an, it's amazing that so many clubs are still going because they, you know they, they they live hand to mouth and on the, and on on favors and, and and goodwill. So they got you got this incredibly wealthy game that earns billions. And it's all concentrated at the very top, and everything below, it's just fucked. So it's um, it's, a, it's not it's not a happy book, but it's it does give you a a, a, a ta- you know it gives you a, a a taste of what the reality of English football is. It's not just a shiny Premier League and full of stars. It's it's a constant grind down below that if it wasn't for so much love of the game would not exist anymore. Yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. Thanks very much for coming on today, anyway, Jim. No worries. Enjoy that. Thanks. Thanks very much. We'll see you with 60 again soon on the School of Science Radio.